Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Paul Dorrance, who is an author, speaker, consultant, and regenerative agriculture advocate. He was raised close to the land, growing up on a small, self-sufficient homestead in upstate New York. His journey back to farming started in 2013 when he started Pastured Providence Farmstead, successful pasture-based livestock operation, marketing 100% grass-fed beef and lamb, as well as on-pastured, non non-GMO pork, poultry, and eggs directly to consumers in Southern and Central Ohio. Paul now writes for Acres USA, speaks at agricultural conferences around the country, and provides consulting services for dreaming, beginning, and transitioning farmers. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Michael. It's wonderful to be here. I appreciate you. So share a little bit about growing up in upstate New York. What was it like growing up in more of a a self-sufficient homestead? I loved my upbringing, uh, both at the time and especially now, I think, in hindsight. Uh, I grew up, my, my parents were not farmers by uh, by trade or uh, in any way. They were part of the original uh, sort of back-to-the-land movement in the 60s. Uh-huh. And so they bought uh, about 35 acres in, in gorgeous rolling dairy land of upstate New York. They had uh, both had full-time off-farm jobs, uh, but uh, raised us to uh, most importantly, I think, to our conversation to to know where our food came from. So we had a, um, a little flock of chickens. We had a dairy uh, cow that dad uh, milked by hand and and her babies were our beef every year. Uh, and so I grew up connected to the land, which I, I find uh, absolutely invaluable to me and, and uh, just very, very grateful to have grown up that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, when you were growing up, um, what was the surrounding area like? Was it shifting? I know upstate New York went through a lot of different, uh, you know, it's a lot of the industry has left. Absolutely. New York is one of those uh, few states uh, that has a, a net outflow of people every year for yeah. uh, for whatever reason. And, and I mean, there's lots, lots of reasons for that. But um the physical beauty uh, and the the quality of the people certainly are not any of those reasons. Uh, they I, I I really had a had a blessed upbringing in a small town. Uh, Sio, New York, literally has one stoplight, um, so mm-hmm. it was it was it was a wonderful place to grow up and uh, a place that I miss very much. Um, uh, never uh, never got back to New York as far as um, uh, settling there, uh, but very very pleased to be where I am in Southern Ohio as well. Yeah. So share a bit about, you know, so you went away, was it to college and what was your career that you started with? Right. Uh, nothing to do with agriculture. So I went to college at uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I studied computer science in Daytona Beach, Florida for four and a half years, uh, as well as uh, at that same time, I was going through a Air Force ROTC program, Reserve Officer Training Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I graduated, I, I graduated from college and then commissioned into the military at the same day. Um, 
I was blessed to have a pilot slot that uh, had earned that through uh, the selection process. And so I went off to pilot training and ultimately graduated from that with my wings and spent mm -hmm. the next uh, uh, nine, 10 years flying uh, military airplanes for a living. So my, my first and, and original career was a military uh, Air Force pilot. Very cool. So what, what would you say your main uh, takeaway from being in the military and how, did, and like what principles have you pulled from the military for running your current operation? That's a great question. I, th I think in general, the, uh, the sort of concepts of, of being uh, responsible for something and following through, I know that's not necessary. I mean, plenty of people have that without the military. Uh, but for me, I, I think that that really solidified uh, that sort of that 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 concept of responsibility and owning something that's that a task that you're given or or that you give yourself, um, and and really um, sort of that that concept of of follow through that that to be honest with you and a lot of people uh, seems to be lacking sometimes. But for me, uh, the the military, I really credit the military for for uh, bringing that home to me and, and really showing me the critical importance of that that kind of a concept and that type of a personality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what brought you back to the farm or to farming? My firstborn, um, his name is Caleb. He's 12 now, about to be 13 okay. very shortly. Uh, but uh, when it really started making a change, he wasn't even here yet. So uh, I was uh, going to be a first time dad. Uh, my my ex-wife and I were at the time, we were just, to be quite honest, we were scared to death and, uh, you know, really excited about him coming, but also mm -hmm. uh, just just all the first time parent things, uh, you know, we were reading and we were, we were, uh, uh, studying things that we never, never questioned before. Um, everything from chemicals in our household to the food that we put in our bodies. And it was truly that, that sort of, uh, impetus that drove me to consider for the first time, believe it or not food, uh, up until this point, I was normal as could be. I sourced my food from Kroger or, you know, grocery store shelves. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't consider where it came from. I didn't care. I made fun of organic. Uh, and, and it wasn't until um, I, we were responsible for this, this sort of growing baby inside my, uh, inside my wife that, that for us, mm -hmm. that changed everything. Uh, and so uh, for the first time, I began to consider food. For the first time, made decisions based on something besides just convenience and, mm -hmm. and really began to value food. Uh, began to source local and, and pasture-based uh, meats. And all of that was based on research that we did at the time uh, and, and continue to do. Um, but yeah, it was it was him and his impending birth. Uh, and then obviously the follow-on with my other two uh, children. I have two daughters as well. Um, but that that was that was the catalyst for me to for the first time to consider food as important. Mm -hmm. Now talk to us through a little bit about what the, what was the steps of you getting back into, did you intern or apprentice for anybody, or did you just buy land and dive in? Uh, the second of those for sure. Although okay. people ask like, Oh, you know, sh should I do what you did? My answer is no. Um, uh, yeah. but it, it worked for me. Um, but yeah, so I, I did as much uh, education as I could. I read voraciously uh, everything from, you know, salatins you can farm to uh, grass-fed beef and, 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 and everything in between, just all, uh, as much self-education as I could. I did attend a, a couple of um, sort of two-day uh, conferences that were specific to, uh, to pasture management, those types of things. Um, and But then really uh, in attending conferences like uh, Acres USA or 
um, the OFA conference here in Ohio, but just mm-hmm. the sustainable agriculture conferences to connect with folks. So those types of things for sure, but never did any interning. Uh, for, so for me, it was a little bit different in a sense, although I, I think anybody could certainly make an internship type of idea work. But I mean, I was, um, you know, I was 12 years into a military career. I had um, at that time of transition, I had two of my three children. The third was on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really wasn't, um, in my opinion, at least, it wasn't a sort of a, a, a great match to, to sort of go into an internship where uh, where I went from uh, making pretty decent money as a mid-level um, officer in the Air Force to, to making very little to none uh, for the sake of the education piece. So I chose instead to uh, build a, as much of a nest egg as I could. Um, we bought 111 acres on forsalebyowner.com. And and I started the farm from scratch, just dove right in and, and went for it. Um, so as, as much sort of self-education as possible and then um, dove right in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And talk us through what the early years were like. Uh, I lost about 30 pounds uh, okay. <laughs> just from, from the pure stress alone. Uh, at, at one point, people started asking me, like, hey, man, are you okay? Uh, and I look at pictures now of, of those early years, and I, I mean, I really was a skeleton. Um, so, it, but it was exciting because, you, you know, you're taking this piece of land and that I was, re- and to be fair, I, I'm more in love with the land uh, today than I was then. Um, so uh, we really got a, a good place to work with. Uh, Appalachian, Ohio is is physically beautiful. We have a lot of resources available to us. There's a lot of um, you know, cities and towns nearby for, uh, for uh, outlets and so on and so forth. So really uh, wise choices um, that I would love to take credit for, but it's just sort of one of those things that I fell into. But, the, um, but we spent the, those early years just building, uh, building infrastructure, uh, getting everything set the way I wanted to, putting things in motion, making a ton of mistakes, um, and, and sort of growing, starting with uh, grass-fed beef and pasture poultry. Um, and then uh, shortly after adding uh, turkey for Thanksgiving. Um, and then I, I, at the very beginning anyway, I swore I would never have sheep. I just didn't have any interest in them, but uh, very quickly changed my mind when I was talked into trying just a couple and they sold like like wildfire. I said, <laughs> well, okay, I, I guess I'm a shepherd too. Uh, and again, in hindsight, I, that, was a, that was a very wise move for me. Um, and so, yeah, it's it was it was a crazy time of of just going hard, um, long long hours, short nights, and uh, and a lot of effort, but um, very very exciting also at the time. Mm-hmm. So, what does the farm look like now? <laughs> totally different. So, uh, in the in the irony of ironies, uh, I I would never have been able to to write a book if I was actually farming uh, like, I, like I was at the beginning. And so um, Pastured Providence Farmstead was in operation from 13 through 2020. Uh, okay. So uh, seven years of, of very successful selling, uh, uh, mostly direct sale to, uh, to um, uh, individual customers, whether that was uh, halves and holes and quarters, for example, or a pound of ground beef at a farmer's market. Uh, and I grew from, from the local Chillicothe farmer's market, which supported me and they were amazing. Uh, but I kind of knew that that my my local town uh, wasn't going to have enough of the resources that I need to grow to the scale that I wanted to. So I I always kind of knew that I was going to branch out towards the the capital city of Columbus, which is an hour away. Uh, and so I was selling at multiple farmers markets up there as well on Saturdays. Uh, I also had a, a wholesale customer in a local restaurant here, which was really neat to be able to go in there. They only did ground beef, 
but uh, again, to go in there and have a shepherd's pie or have burgers mm-hmm. and know that that was my meat on the table and uh, to see my logo on, on the menu, that kind of stuff was, was just wonderful. Uh, and so seven years into this thing, I'm have a, 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 a very successful business. I'm doing it. Uh, and then things changed as they do in, in some people's personal lives. My, my wife and I got divorced. Um, we are very, very amicable at this point. She lives right across town. Um, and we, we share our kids 50, 50, but, uh, again, kind of that ironic piece mm-hmm. of things was, uh, I came to a realization that I could, I couldn't do it just by myself or mm-hmm. perhaps more accurately I could have, but I wouldn't have been able to do anything else. And so I had been also getting into some, uh, speaking opportunities and educational opportunities and being asked to do those types of things. And I find that very compelling as well in a totally different way. And so for me, I, I chose to sell the animals, um, to, to move into a consulting type of role. And so now my, my professional efforts are to uh, educate, encourage, and equip new and beginning farmers for success as a consultant, speaker, teacher, uh, advocate, uh, and now author. Um, mm-hmm. I have animals on the land still. Uh, I have a small, small homestead uh, flock of chickens. I have meat bird for uh, my own meat. I still do my own processing there. Uh, I raise uh, somewhere around three or four hogs a year out on pasture like I used to uh, just for my own consumption. Uh, and then I have mm-hmm. rented a, a large portion of my land to a farmer who does rotationally graze sheep. And so he's doing pastured uh, grass finished sheep on my place. Uh, and that's been a very, very beneficial relationship. So animals all around anymore, uh, but but totally different now than what it was uh, at its uh, at its height. Uh, they're mm-hmm. probably around that 2020 time frame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, things change and they do indeed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I would not be able to run our farm without um, the support of my wife and just the, the amount that she does. Um, gosh, I mean, we, I mean, we have an entire team now, but yeah, she keeps me really grounded with a lot and says, no, Michael, you can't do this and this and this. So, you know, <laughs> that part is really important. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Sets the expectation somewhat. So uh, it's funny because I was talking yeah, to yeah. Um, my friend, Will Harris, uh, who owns uh, white oak pastures down in yep. Bluffton, Georgia. And he, mm-hmm. he kind of, you know, he's a very, very blunt man, love him to death, but he, he, you know, we talked about this very recently. He said, you know, what are you going to say to people when they say like you wrote a book about farming, but you don't farm anymore. And at the time I really didn't have a good answer for him. I don't, I'm glad he asked the question, but I guess my answer to him now and to everyone that's listening here would just be brutally honest is, is, is the best policy. And so, I mean, yeah, that's the bottom line is, um, and I'm I'm really, really glad to be where I'm at. Uh, Truthfully, it is totally different. And I, I I don't ever want to lose that boots on the ground, uh, experience because that's what I speak from. That's what I what I try to share, um, and that's where where my book is really grounded in. Um, but yeah, uh, it, I would never have been able to do what I'm doing now if I if I didn't um, if I was still farming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, actually, ask Will about the um, the days he and I spent in D.C. together. Uh, gosh, oh, it must yeah. have been must have been a decade ago. Um, I'm trying to rethink what year that was. I think it was, it had to be late, late 2000s, maybe 2009, 2010. Um, But yeah, it was Will Harris. uh, Mark Shepard was there. um, Mm -hmm. A few other farmers came in, um, but it was like, you know, on the, 
on the on the hill, you know, trying to lobby for the farm bill or something. I forget exactly what it was for, but it was through um, a company out of the West Coast or a nonprofit that brought us in. But that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, the kind absolutely. of because he's a really cool. He's a really cool guy. He is so, and Mark Shepard as uh, well. He's a, I've, I've uh, met, talked with him multiple times uh, and, you know, great, great people there. So if you're, if you're surrounding with those type of folks then you're in a good spot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So let's talk a little bit about your book. Cause you wrote a book. Um, I know writing a book, it, one of the things I think writing a book does is it really makes you think through the principles and what you're sharing in the book. And you really have to like really like, okay, does this actually make sense? Is this replicable for a lot of people? What was like when you're writing the book, what were some of the truths you felt kind of bubbled to the surface for you? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so for me, I didn't, what I didn't want was for someone to follow my path. Does that make sense? I, I don't, I don't, I, what I didn't want was to be prescriptive, I guess maybe is a, is a better way to say that. Um, I mean, my path was my path. It worked really, really well for me. It was very successful. But what I really wanted to do with this book is sort of pre present the, the the problems or the questions that came up as I was starting my farm from scratch and present mm -hmm. not just the option I chose, but all the other ones that I decided against for, for my reasons, and then mm -hmm. allow people to really, to really write their own uh, path, if you will. Uh, and so the, the, that was the, the real emphasis of the book overall was this concept of don't, don't follow me in, in the way that I went. Uh, here, here's all of the options here, all, all the whys in the road that I could think of in, in all of these different topical areas. Uh, here's some background to consider for, for you, uh, but then ultimately make the choice that's right for you in your moment, in your, in your space, in your world. And so um, we even built space, uh, a couple two or three pages to take notes and to write their own story, literally, uh, inside the book at, at the end of every chapter, which I think is really cool. Um, and, and a lot different than, than some of the sort of farming manuals, if you will, uh, that, that are out there that, that tend to be a little bit more prescriptive like that. So, uh, that was a really big deal to me, um, was to, to avoid that, to, to be uh, open and honest about the decisions I made and why, but to not, uh, uh, try to force people into a mold like the, the this type of farming is is beautiful because it's different in all these different ways and different geographies and different uh, soil types and and mm -hmm. personalities. I mean, you name the thousands of differences that makes this more of an art than a science. Uh, and so, I'm really trying to to allow that the individual reading the book to to work through that on their own and what that looked like for them. It was pretty cool. Yeah. And I like something you said right there is that every, you know, every farm, every operation is different and given people, I think the, so that's what we really, really like to teach is the principles behind the decisions, not necessarily. And obviously like we put our lettuce in, you know, paper pot system. That's just a very specific system we use, but the reasonings behind that is, you know, that these principles that we're following that made us get to that decision. And for nine out of 10 farms, it may not be the right decision. That's a perfect example of, of, of this idea of starting with your values uh, and then building from there. Um, and and th that's exactly right. And, and so the first, uh, the first step in the process is the one that most people try to, you know, kind of skip over and everybody and, and again, I'm not throwing spears. I was I was absolutely guilty of this as well. Like I had the end goal in mind um, already in my head. I had that rosy uh, sunrises and sunsets and birds chirping and rainbows and you know mm -hmm. that all of that in my head. Um, but I 
but I really truly believe in the benefit of, of settling and defining and, and encapsulating your personal core values and then building your vision, your mission, your goals from there, uh, because it's that foundation that supports you all the time, truly, but you really need it in the bad times. Um, and so having that foundational stuff set, then allowing that to speak into your individual operational management type of decisions is so critical to me. Uh, and that's really the, the form that this book takes is let's, let's set those foundational values for yourself first, and then build everything from there instead of which really, to me, puts the cart in front of the horse where it belongs uh, mm -hmm. instead of the way that we, we typically go about trying to envision a business. Um, yeah. What would you say one major decision that you made when you started your farm was what set you up for success? I think for, my success was really built on my, my strengths, I think, uh, is the best way to answer that. So I, I, am a, I took full advantage of direct retail sales straight to the consumer. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. I'm a believer in that. Uh, I buy food as much as I can that way. Um, so for me, capturing as much of that dollar as, as you can and, and eliminating as many middle, middle uh, men in between was, was really key to my success. My overheads were a lot less than other people. My, my uh, gross income was a lot more because I made that extra effort to go straight to a consumer and exchange my product for their dollar. Um, mm -hmm. Now, that being said, that going back to kind of that foundational piece and, and strengths and weaknesses analysis, uh, for me, I, I have a gift of gab. I'm, a, I'm an introvert, believe it or not, but I like to talk. So yeah. uh, I, I, and I enjoy education and I enjoy conversation. And so for me to have a talk with somebody over a farmer's market table is is exciting and enjoyable and and then and then that results in a sale that gives me a little more money than i would if i went through a wholesaler for example or, or a bulk uh, bulk distributor now uh -huh. i i have seen and, and and have worked with people in the past who absolutely have no business in direct sales but just their personality just the, you know the way that they the way that they operate and that's not to speak badly about them it's just to say hey this is not a strength of yours, let's work on either finding you somebody who has the strength to work on your behalf or find something that fits better within your own strengths because there's plenty of them, but this isn't one of them. So that's the thing mm -hmm. uh, for me, again, and that kind of goes back to this concept of don't follow my path because it's the one that worked for me. Follow the path that works the, the best for you uh, and, and speaks to your strengths. But so for me, that direct sale retail uh, decision was is absolutely key to my success. Uh, but it's not going to be mm -hmm. the key to everyone's success. No, I think that's a very good point. And um, there's a reason why I think agricultural has always defaulted back to the farmer produced the product. And then you have this whole uh, series or chains of people that process it. Cause many, many farmers just don't like that, um, that sales and marketing side, but um we all know what that's resulted in. We look at, you know, the amount of money that farmers are making. We look at the size of the farms. We look at how many people have left farming because of all of that. So I think getting back to that aspect of direct to consumer is so key. Um, and I think there's so many innovative ways to reach the consumer that it's, um, there's no excuse not to be direct to consumer. Unless let's say, you know, you're a thousand acre elderberry farm in the middle of Idaho and, you know, it's six hours to the, the nearest town of 10,000. So. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, you're right that it's it's never been easier uh, in a sense. Uh, there's there's so many more tools uh, out there than than there I believe there ever have been to to really do that well. And folks that are that are ready to step in and, and help uh, put your best foot forward as it pertains to direct marketing. Uh, so I, I tend to agree with you. Um, I would even say to that, you know, uh, 6,000 acre elderberry farm uh, that they have the ability in, in theory, of course, if, if they're not too locked in and regimented um, with blinders on, like, like all of us get when we get comfortable mm-hmm. in our routine to, to say, hey, take 40 acres and put it in something else that is direct sellable. To, so you don't have to do it with the whole farm. You can do it with a different enterprise or something that fits better. What's around you? What's the need? Uh, and really, uh, I think that's the key piece to me that, pe- that keeps people from doing uh, something like direct marketing uh, in some way is, is this idea that, that well, I can't do that on 6,000 acres. Like, that's fine. Do it on six um, and just have that be a small piece of things because that little piece, you're going to get a little bit more percentage of, of profit there. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so then maybe that six becomes sixty over the course of time or next year whatever it is and starts to grow. So trying it on a small piece of acreage is something that's so simple, but honestly seems to elude most of us uh, who again we just we the human race get very very regimented very very stiff and and at, over time and it really takes uh, somebody to shake that apart a little bit and to, to make us consider. Uh, new and uh, exciting opportunities that might be out there. Yeah. Well, I I think two things that come of that is one, we're creatures of habit. So, you know, if we do something the same way, we'll just keep doing it the same way. And second, um, I think it's a lot more, people don't realize how much mental capacity there is to change things and do new, uh, new enterprises and all of that. Um, And that's brain work. And again, we're wired as a human species to avoid brain work. So (laughs) Um, I think those of us, you know, those of who are willing to push through and take the risk and take the challenge and go forward are the ones who are, you know, are going to make a difference. Yeah. And I, I guess I think that's probably the, the key thing. And, and I will speak from experience in that sense of that sense of safety and what we know um, mm-hmm. and the, the, that the, the fact that there is a very real risk to doing something different, even on a small amount of acreage. Uh, there's, there's certain people who are, would be it's just too adverse to that risk to make that change. And those are the ones who will continue to do what they've always done. Um, so my, uh, and this, this really would be advice above and beyond personality and, and so forth is um, taking, especially a small piece of, of an operation and trying something mm-hmm. new um, and taking that risk and seeing if it works out because boy, if it does, how much better is everything going to be? But, but uh, yeah, that, that sort of risk averse culture um, is again, very much human nature, but if we can fight against that and overcome it, um, then we, we end up with a lot of opportunities that we would otherwise miss. So I think one thing you're also not saying is don't dive in to and change your entire operation. I am absolutely saying that. Yes. Um, now, and of course you could look like a genius on the other end, if you dive in and, and change everything and it works, yeah. um, that's, that's great. But the likelihood is probably somewhere more in the middle. Uh, and so, yes, absolutely. That's concept of, of taking smart steps forward and, and changing, uh, on purpose, not in reaction to anything. That's a, that's another key thing. You see a lot of people that they just, they go with the gut, which is fine. I think in a lot of cases, but, I, I really, when I talk to folks that I consult with and, and they're talking to me about these decisions or desires that they want to, what they want the farm to look like is it's beautiful to behold, 
but let's let's do stuff on purpose. Let's make steps that that are intentional. Let's set goals that make sense and get you towards your your ultimate goals and your vision that you want. Uh, but I, I, you know, I see a lot of people just really resisting the urge sometimes uh, and, and sometimes not to, to dive in and do something crazy like that, where, you know, just like you said, think it through, uh, be intentional and make choices uh, based based on what you see around you. Uh, that's a much better uh, and more likely a much more profitable course. Mm -hmm. Hey, Thriving Farmers, each year we are faced with two important investment decisions. We should be investing in systems that increase productivity and in inputs that develop soil. In December of 2020, I was introduced to a seed, soil, and foliar prebiotic treatment. This product is called Ultra. Ultra is an OMRI-listed prebiotic formula manufactured by AgriGrow. I have personally been running several trials testing Ultra on my farm. I'm impressed. Ultra increased our strawberry yield production by 18%. On a 900-square-foot trial, $6 in product cost returned me $868 worth of marketable strawberries. We also had decade-old heirloom corn seed that I have been trying to germinate with no success. In a Hail Mary attempt with my remaining few seeds, I soaked them overnight in a diluted solution of Ultra. They germinated. If you would like to try Ultra or any other agrigo product, I believe this would be a worthwhile investment on your farm. Here's the best news yet. AgriGrow has agreed to offer a 10% discount to all Thriving Farmer listeners. Simply use the coupon code THRIVE when you check out. Again, that is T-H-R-I-V-E for a 10% off discount on your first order. Head to smallfarm.solutions to order today. What would you say some of the greatest mistakes people can make if when they're starting their business? I think the, from, from the very, very beginning, the the biggest mistakes that I made, uh, there's really two answers. One isn't really a mistake of mine. It's just the fact that there's so little great information out there to go on. Uh, and so pretty much every estimate that I made in terms of, you know, cause I told you, I started with a nest egg that I, I, was, uh -huh. I was making great money in another job and, and sort of was able to just skimp and save over the course of years, to come up with this, this nest egg to, to start the farm with. Um, and then I made as best I could estimations on, projects that needed to be done and in the right order and so forth. And, but I swear, Michael, every, every project took uh, three times as much money as I thought it would and twice as long. Yeah. Uh, and so just, just recognizing that and accounting for that in a startup business, I think, again, that's not necessarily a mistake that people make. It's, it wasn't my fault that that's the case, yeah. I mean, unless, but I just, you, when I talk to people time and time again, they, they, they echo that same kind of concept, like uh, twice as long, twice as much. Um, and so recognizing that from the beginning would be a great step towards success. Um, and then the other thing for, for me, uh, the biggest mistakes I made are when I abandoned back to those foundational values, when I abandoned those values uh, based on the emergency that was that presented itself that day. As, mm -hmm. as you know, um, farming, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's beautiful. It's bucolic. It's it's um, it's gorgeous to look at as you walk out on your front porch with a cup of coffee and the birds are chirping and the sun is shining. And but it's you spend your day waiting for the other shoe to drop because especially in animal agriculture, but I believe truly in, in all types, there's there, the emergency of the day is right around the corner. <laughs> and so yeah. whenever that happens, um, the, the mistakes that I've made, whether that um, is goes to like sort of chemical use. Uh, for example, I, I have an example in the book where I, I, I talk about this mistake that I made in which I used a, a chemical poron to address uh, mites on my, on my cattle. 
Uh And it was because I I knew I didn't want to do that, but I just felt pressed into this corner where I had to do something for animal health and so on and so forth. So I abandoned my values and forsake them and used the chemicals and absolutely decimated the the dung beetle population on my property for years. Mm. Um, And so that mistake was because I didn't have those foundational values as established and as identified and codified, if you will, uh, as I should have. And so that, I think that's really where people get themselves in trouble is, is if you can, if you can get those foundational values set and square and l- allow that to build a framework of what's okay and what is not on your farm uh, and then operate within those self constraints, uh, then I think a lot of issues will resolve themselves. Um, which again, for me in that case, I, I did not do that. And, and therefore used a chemical that I knew I didn't want to, but did it anyway. And mm-hmm. um suffered the consequences for years afterwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what has been the reception to your book? It's been really, really good. Uh, I've, I've, I'm so, so pleased because I want this book to be useful to people. I want this book to be, uh, I, I absolutely do not want it to sit on a shelf or be a, you know, a, a coffee table book like this. I, I want somebody in 10 years to bring this thing to me tattered and highlighted and drawn all over and dirty. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I want. This is a book to be used for someone's benefit. And so, um, uh, and, and the feedback I've been receiving has been um, along those lines where, where folks are really taken by, um, interestingly, by the voice uh, that, I, that I use, which is just my voice, it's this one. But um, a lot of books that are out there that talk about this sort of subjects of business don't have the, the practical background boots on the ground uh, history to back it up and, or they use, you know, terms that are, that you would expect in a boardroom instead of in a, in a field. Uh, and so my, my version of, of the, of a business type of book seems to really speak to folks, uh, where they are, where I am, uh, in, a, in such a way that, that the concepts are, are attainable and, and understandable and so forth. Um, and so, uh, it's been, it's been very, very good, very well received. And, uh, I'm super excited to, to offer this to folks who uh, it would be a benefit to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's your life look like now? What does the future hold? The immediate future is, is really trying to support this book. I, uh, in the meantime, uh, so I'll be speaking at, at agricultural conferences and which I would do anyway, but mm-hmm. uh, just in an effort to, to try and bring this book to as many folks who would, who would, it would benefit as possible. Um, I'm also work with uh, with consulting clients all across the country. Um, I've got folks from everywhere from um, uh, Iowa to um, uh, Washington State and Idaho, um, and so just just working with them, helping them to 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 any advice that I may have or or experience that I have to bring to the table uh, to help them be successful. That's my goal. Um, so really, just. Uh, and then I think the third piece is, is uh, looking for opportunities to, to be an advocate for pasture-based animal agriculture, uh, uh-huh. especially as we have more and more uh, much, much needed conversations around climate. Uh, I, you know, to me, animal agriculture kind of gets put into uh, you're either an extreme uh, in a sense of, of confined operation and trucking food to and manure away and all, you know, that whole mess mm-hmm. of animal agriculture that that is confined animal feeding operations or you you don't agree with animal ag- agriculture at all mm-hmm. you, you know there's no there's doesn't seem to be any middle ground but for from my perspective um pasture-based animal agriculture 
uh, has some some very real health and ecological benefits that can't be ignored. That you know, if we're we're going to eat meat as a as a culture and as a people. Uh, that meat should be raised well in such a way that it benefits the environment uh, instead of uh, denigrates it. And so I, I I continue to look for advocacy opportunities to to share that message and share the the sort of what to me seems like a common sense, but to others uh, they don't see that there might actually be a way to eat meat well. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think. Um... Um, the Neiman book, was it last year that came out really talked about defending beef, uh, did a really great job of talking through that. And, um, then you also had Diane Rogers on the Joe Rogan podcast, which was fabulous. That was a really interesting conversation to hear that. Um, and I think one of the takeouts of that was yes, pasture raised is great, but pasture raised is not as important as we would like to think at some point. So there was a, that was an interesting takeaway from that interview. I highly encourage folks to have a a listen to that, but um, I think beef is something that is here to stay for the long term and is such a more sustainable meat than so many of the other ones because beef can be done without any grain. Right. Agreed. And that's the key to the thing. So, uh, but um I think I think the health benefits are are uh, are real, uh, and uh-huh. but nobody's doing a lot of work yet, uh, believe it or not, in in terms of nutrition quality and that kind of concepts. Uh, but but again, you you kind of go back to this thing where ruminant animals are doing what they're supposed to do, not what we not what we humans think they should do or what's convenient for us. Uh, but when but when they're when they're doing what they're intended to do, designed to do, that's uh-huh. the best case scenario in, in any 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 form. Uh, and so, uh, so anecdotally, at the very least, uh, that's that's going to be very beneficial. But then, on the environmental side, there's no question that it's best to do animal agriculture that way. Whenever you you know the the, mm-hmm. the normal uh, principles of of regenerative agriculture include you know keeping a a living root in the ground, and and you do that with perennial pasture. You do that with animal impact that's beneficial, uh, that's well managed, uh, and in the end, you have a system that's truly beautiful and also ecologically sound and beneficial. Mm-hmm. Talk us through a little bit of your, your farm, the, the marketing. You talked about you know some farmer's markets and direct-to-consumer. Were you selling online and uh, like at the CSA program at all, or was it mainly just at the, those markets? Uh, I did sell online, uh, So, but it, I, I have a disease where I, I have to do it all myself, um, mm, which okay. is, is, it's a strength right up until it's not. Uh, and so then becomes a weakness for me personally. But yeah, so I, I did do some online sales. Uh, people would buy, uh, like I said, those kind of households and quarters. I would manage all of that with an online sale um, type of scenario, just email communication um, and initial interest with, with newsletters and so forth. So I had, I had those, that set of customers. Uh, but then I also had the folks that came and bought a package of bacon or a pound of ground beef uh, at a farmer's market. So um, uh, kind of kind of both worlds, uh, I would say, both direct sale to consumer. But um, and then the farmer's market would sort of serve oftentimes as a pickup location for a larger order. For example, mm-hmm. uh, I was already going to be there, already had all the things, you know, my freezers in the setup and ready. So I would it was very often uh, have a, somebody come and pick up a quarter beef for a uh, uh, half a hog type of order mm-hmm. uh, at a farmer's yeah. market. Yeah. And farmer's markets are always a great lead generation for the online sales. They are indeed. Absolutely. Um, the one thing I didn't get into specifically, although um, I was I was really kind of poised to start 
uh, the, the idea of starting a CSA uh, just for myself seemed uh, somewhat intimidating, but also didn't quite make sense just, just for meat only. Um, however, uh, for those who may be listening and considering that if you're, if you're in the meat business or if you're really in any business, if you can and have relationships that have an existing CSA structure already sort of figured out, it seems to be a lot easier to add an enterprise or an offering that's not within that existing CSA uh, and figure that out um, and the, the logistics piece of it as opposed to starting your own from scratch. Not to say that it's not the right idea uh, to, to start your own. It might be. But I was considering and working through some of the details of like, hey, what does this look like if if we just put out what I have to your customer base as well and they order and I get it to you and we figure out how to do that. Um, so I, I had not yet done that, but was at the sort of at the cusp of that when when things change for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the repeatable income is great to be able to have that. And then also leveraging other farms. When we first started our farm here, we were doing mushrooms on a larger scale. And so being able to partner with another farm that was buying them for their CSA was great um, because they had an existing customer base and we could just move product through them. So, right. Um, all right. So where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, the best place, uh, not knowing where you are in the world, would be the wide, wide web there. So just go to uh, www.pasturedprovidence.com. That's P-A-S-T-U-R-E-D-P-R-O-V-I-D-E-N-C-E, pasturedprovidence.com. And uh, my story, consulting options are there. Uh, contact as well as there's a, there's a link that says books. Uh, so if you're interested in the book or don't want to check that out a little bit more, you can click on it there. But everything starts there. Um, uh, on the website, and I would I would love to hear from folks and and let them uh, be sure if you do uh, uh, make sure that you tell me that you got uh, got here via the podcast. I would love to know that, and I'm sure Michael would as well. Absolutely. Um, any final words of advice for our audience? No, uh, just the biggest thing would be uh, there's a there's a bridge that that needs to be built between this sort of gap between education. Uh, self-education internships is what would sort of be on that side of things and then giving a go yourself I think I'm afraid that and a lot of people probably have a farm dream uh, this 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 lifestyle speaks to people yet you know there's a there's a yearning to to grow uh, food and provide it for others uh, but I think a lot of people sort of stare across that gap at what could be and don't ever build that bridge across it and so that I really believe my, my role is to, to help people build that bridge from where they are in the dreaming world to where they want to be in the producing world. And so uh, my, my biggest advice is, is go for it. And if that means calling me or calling Michael uh, to, to help you build that bridge or jump across your gap, um, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to help you do that. But, but don't let that, uh, that big gap, that scary um, first getting started kind of idea keep you from your dreams. Yeah. Go for it. I think that's absolutely great it. advice. Yes. That's what I tell people. Try it. If it, if it, if it fails, there'll be a fun memory to think back on. <laughs> but I think if you start with, uh, I think if you start with the right um, support, which is what you offer, there is, you're, you're so much better uh, chance of uh, making a go of it. Um, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, right. I mean, there's a formula that works and follow the formula and it's their success. So yeah. Absolutely. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise and wisdom and uh, wish the best for you. And you're over there in Chillicothe, right? Yep, Chillicothe, Ohio is uh, an hour straight south of Columbus. So I'm in the 
a beautiful part of Ohio where uh, Appalachia meets the plains. Uh, uh-huh. Literally, my farm is right there on the edge. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah it's, be- a, it's a beautiful place to be here. It is. I was actually through there just a couple of weeks ago. So, oh. all right. Thanks a lot for coming on and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you in the future. Thank you so much, Michael. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.